Hey everyone, I'm Jared Moranti. I'm Justin Moranti, and you're listening to The Wild Loop. Don't forget to check out our website at thewildloop.net, where you'll find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, as well as our email address. Send us your comments, and we may read them on air during our listener comment segment. Reach out to us, let us know you're listening, and you can become part of the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Wild Loop. So, uh, actually by the time this one comes out, Thanksgiving will have passed. It's about to uh, be upon us tomorrow. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, I haven't really, uh, I haven't wanted anything for Christmas in a really long time. And I actually feel like I want something this year. And that would be uh, listener comments. <laughs> so, if you're out there and listening if you send us listener comments in december that'll make my christmas <laughs> so that's it yeah uh that's what i want for christmas I want that would be a I wonderful emails. a wonderful christmas gift it would be and you would almost surely be on the show unless you wrote something foul so yeah we <laughs> and even fact, then <laughs> yeah at this point we, we might even <laughs> right <laughs> we might even bend the rules a little no uh we know that there's people listening. In fact, I mean, we have listeners in quite a few different countries. So so there's people out there listening. So if you're one of those people and, and you want to uh, be part of the show, please uh, give us a comment. Yeah, actually, I know it's on the site, but why don't we tell them what the email address is right here? We'll just, what is it? I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Well, you can reach it by going to the site, but the email address itself is wildlooppodcast at gmail.com. Wildlooppodcast at gmail.com. And if you want a direct link, you can just go to the website and go to the contact section. And, and there's a couple links there. Um, you don't once again, <laughs> once again, no, it's wildlooppodcast at gmail.com. You know what we should do? Hmm. Um, maybe we'll set this up. We could have like comments at the wildloop.net um, instead of using a Gmail account. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so for now, that one that was just read off. <laughs> I already, I already <laughs> yeah. can't. Or, or you can go to our Facebook page, Twitter page. Yeah. We got those as well. So you can right. leave comments there. We check right. all that stuff also. So, right. Plenty of ways to reach us. That's right. Uh, all right, so I don't know. Yeah, did you have anything to share this week, or no? That's good. Okay, so topic for this week. Uh, I think we're revisiting sort of uh, what we did a little while ago. Programmers Toolkit. This is going to be Programmers Toolkit Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we discuss? I'm trying to remember what we even went over. We we kind of jump around a lot of different topics. Um, you mean for part one? Yeah, uh, a lot of we it was talk, I think the actual editor, tools that editor. You used. Yeah, oh, okay. I think it was like code editors and things like that. Right. So we were talking about the actual, like programming, uh, like the way you interface with your with your programs or your code. So you're right. Uh, the right. editors, talking about Emacs and Vim. That's right. So I think today we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, maybe like resources that that people use or or uh yeah like just yeah. sources that you use to 
to to figure out problems, uh, things like that. And there's a couple famous ones, um, well-known ones, or or ways rather to to do research. But let me ask you to start off. Do mm-hmm. you have um, do you have resources that you turn to like a lot currently? Yeah, um, Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. um, W three Schools. Okay. Um, I'm, and then uh, from the front end standpoint, I use um, a lot of stuff. That, I mean, if we're just talking online tools in general, I would include yeah. those. Um, I use, I get a lot of stock photos from like Unsplash, stuff like that. Okay. Pexels.com. Um, uh, let's see what else. I, I, I think, uh, some others will pop into my head as we, as we go, but those are the ones that jump out at me Yeah. to start. Yeah. All right. That's the show. Uh, no i'm just kidding i think so uh for me so it's kind of interesting because we live in a time oh github would be another one yeah 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 yeah. so well you kind of stole my thunder but yeah (laughs) uh we live in a time where uh there's so many resources available to programmers uh that just didn't exist um i mean I don't remember when Stack Overflow started, but if you want to go back to like search engines, when search engines started getting big, um, which around you know the year 2000, I think Google was founded in 1998 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't they didn't get huge for like a few years. So you had uh, all kinds of search engines before that: Yahoo, AltaVista, Ask Jeeves. Dot com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's a good one. I mean, I like the name on that one. Yeah. So, um, but you had this period where, you know, like, where, where did you turn when you got stuck? So you'd have, you'd always have books. There was magazines like uh, Dr. Dobbs was a real popular one. I don't think they're even around anymore. And now we just have this, you know, glut of information, almost to the point where you don't know if you're getting good advice or bad advice. So I think on Stack Overflow, they have like the upranking system. Mm -hmm. So you would typically pick the one that's upranked the most. But I've seen ones in some cases where they're upranked a lot. And then you'll you'll see comments of people saying like, this is totally wrong. I don't know why this is the top choice. And they'll they'll go about to why. But I've used Stack Overflow a lot um, for sure. And... It's like I said, it's an interesting resource. It's I wouldn't compare it to Wikipedia necessarily, in terms of reliability, but um, that's a big one, and just Google in general. So <laughs> it kind of reminded me. I just thought of that quote from The Office where Michael Scott's talking about Wikipedia, <laughs> and you know it. You know it's Anybody true. Can write whatever they want, so you know you know it's the best, the best information. information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. What did you mean by Wikipedia as in Wikipedia as in? You can write whatever you want, right? You're asking the world. It's like, that's what I thought you were saying. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite that bad because you have people, like I said, upranking choices and things like that. So hopefully the, 
you know, I wouldn't not the masses, but like more people would uprank the right the right way to do things. And there's not always a right and a wrong way to do things. But mm. um yeah, Stack Overflow is, is a pretty overall an amazing resource these days um for programmers. And I think a big part of it's a big part of a programmer's toolkit, uh, almost to almost to a, a detriment. You can be like, there's jokes about, oh, like I'm a programmer because I know how to copy and paste code from Stack Overflow, <laughs> yeah, and glue it together or whatnot. But I mean, you can't really survive off that. I don't think, at least not in the kinds of environments that I've been in. So mm-hmm. I remember when I first started. I, People would say, well, you know, if you get stuck, you can always look up, you know, just just Google mm-hmm. whatever you need. And and I remember I'd get I'd get stuck on something, and I would think, yeah, there's no way this is no <laughs> like it would be some obscure thing. Mm-hmm. And I would think there's no way this is online. Like, uh, it's just too random. And then I would type it in, and sure enough, there was you know somebody had come across the same thing. I don't have an example, but yeah, there's just uh, there's a wealth of stuff out there. And you'd be surprised what what you're able to debug. <laughs> oh just yeah, by, totally. just by googling. So, but I, I did notice, like a Stack Overflow. Tell me if you've if you agree with this. There's sometimes it seems like people just go on there to kind of um, I don't know if show off is the word, but they like. Uh, I don't know. Like, so you'll see us. Someone will start a thread. They'll ask for a solution, and then they'll get a solution or two. And then, like, people will keep adding stuff to kind of one up the the, mm-hmm. the solution before it. Um. So I don't know if there's some weird uh, Stack Overflow uh, competition going on, but or is do you think it's a uh, <sighs> I, I think that's you a think programmer it, competition thing. I don't well, think it's a stack. Well, in general, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I think it's. I think anything like that is going to be the programmer ego coming through. Yeah. Um, and that's. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, you I, I see a lot of that everywhere. Too, yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just. It's such a. There was one the other day. I was reading, a guy. Uh, he was quote unquote helping somebody. And he said something like, "Well, you know, I can tell you're new at programming. Just hang in there, and uh, you know, you'll you'll get it. You'll get it. But uh, here's a solution for you. <laughs> like he's dropping nuggets, you know. Right. Um. So yeah. So if you do put a question out there on Stack Overflow, you might get something like that. But just be aware. There's you should get on there and be like, I've got this board in front of me, and it has these letters on it." <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. Let's see what kind of responses you get. Yeah. That's uh this that whole like I can tell you're new at this. It's like I uh, yeah, you'll get it one day, little buddy. Just <laughs> hang in there. Like, come on. So it's a it's a way for uh mid level programmers to feel accomplished, I guess. In, yeah, uh, maybe in yeah. some way. So that's one uh, purpose for Stack Overflow, but there's some much better ones. There's better purposes out there. The jerk face toolkit. That's part, it's both a uh, programmer's toolkit and a posturing toolkit. So posturing, yeah, yeah. Um, so this actually kind of relates a little bit to 
uh, was it last week we talked about practicing, or was that two weeks ago? It was uh, last last week. The ten thousand oh, right, hour Malcolm rule. Gladwell. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and you touched on this. You mentioned it a couple minutes ago. What are the like? I like to buy books a lot. Like I, I just like books, and so I, I have a lot of technical books that I've read through in various stages. Like some of them I haven't read much. Some of them I've read them all. And that's fine. But uh, I think a really good resource for learning is actually just GitHub repos. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, you know, the entire Linux kernel is like open source. Mm -hmm. So if you were into doing like systems programming or wanting to learn about, you know, Kernel programming, obviously, there's no secrets there. You just go to the repo. You can read what people are doing. You can look at the commit messages. You can look at the structure of the code. You can read how um, the actual code files are structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like like learning jazz or learning music. And one of the ways that they tell you to learn like improvising is to transcribe solos, right? So you do a lot of listening and you transcribe what you're what you're hearing, mm. and that almost feels like the same thing to me um, in terms of like coding. So it's like you you could be looking at like you're it's almost like reading, you know, jazz solos almost, mm. uh, looking at like a really high quality repo and just learning what they're doing from there and being able to incorporate that stuff into your own code. And I think that's, I, I feel like I, I've like, I realized a while ago, like books are not going to get you there. Like it's just too much, um, not too much theory, but it's just not practical enough. Like you learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And if you try to jump in by, or if you try to, if you're like, I'm not going to learn. That's not the right way to put it. I'm not going to do something until I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're never going to get there because you need to just start doing it. And that's how you actually get better. So I think GitHub repos are a really, really good source. Um, <laughs> at least open source, maybe open source ones, because people can put out like their own modules or their own repos that stink. Yeah. So you want something that's been vetted, I guess. Like Blender is open source, and Blender is a really big, uh, very popular, very powerful tool for doing 3D graphics. Uh, and I think it's gotten even like a lot better in recent years than it than it used to be. It's like it can do amazing stuff now, and mm-hmm. it's all just like open source. So there's plenty of of tools for learning those kinds of things out there, and I think GitHub is is a big deal and should not be um, underestimated, I guess. Yeah. And that's a good, uh, a good way to get some, some of those 10,000 painful hours you were talking about last week. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. We have a, we have a Git, um, kind of our own version of GitHub in house that somebody made for our own um, code at work. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. It's called uh, Git get tea or something like that but it's it's basically the same it's, you know you make right. repositories and put it out there and and then we all have access to it. it's it's uh it's open source within closed confines <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of cool 
open source behind closed doors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so how do you, so why do they do that? Or why does your company do it that way? Uh, we don't, it's, it was just one of our programmers set it up. It's not really a comp, it's not a big company thing, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, the guys, the, the main programmers know about it. So, so we just, it's just a way for us to share right. stuff we're doing. Um, is there like an advantage? I mean, over like GitHub because GitHub is pretty feature packed. Uh, no, there's no yeah. there's no real advantage. It's just it's just a way to keep stuff in some some stuff in house that we do and share it at the same time with each other. Yeah, well, I mean, because you can do that with GitHub now. Yeah, like, it's not all. Open. Oh, you can. You're right. You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like we use all private repos on on GitHub. I just think that's interesting that. Um, you guys oh, that's true. Have that's like true. Your own, actually, that, uh, that, that's a good point. I, maybe, maybe he just did it for fun. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Well, sometimes things like that can could be started. Like, I mean, I don't think it's old. Or I'm not saying it's an old thing, but like, it can be started and just kind of becomes part of the legacy of how everything works. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, there's no real reason to change at this point, so we're not going to switch over. But yeah, I mean. I guess it's kind of besides the point, but um, have you ever you like looked at any? I guess you have your internal Git Git thing, Git like uh, source, but have you ever looked at any like GitHub repos for for solutions to things? Or yes, I have. Um, I did that. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this on air, but I've when I was just going through Udacity projects, I would uh-huh. sometimes look at other projects that people had done mm-hmm. and they'd put them on github and i would um uh, i would never obviously never copy their code but mm-hmm. i would look at how they did it and that would give me a way to um you know create my own versions yeah sure and i, I don't mean, i mean i don't think there was anything wrong with i mean i think that's the whole point of github but uh, yeah i mean well that's right for an open source like that's because there's this whole thing with like uh with like so we talked about losing software to time remember yeah. this kind of yeah, yeah, connects yeah. back to that as well right right so if you're losing certain applications because the platform that they're built on goes away if all that code is closed source or not you know saved somewhere then you lose that so that is part of I mean, the whole, that's one of the arguments behind open source, I think, is just not losing um, old software and also not losing knowledge of how certain things were accomplished. Like, we, ha- there's things on Earth, right? We'll find things on Earth that it's like, oh, this, you know, some kind of like buried civilization or, I mean, yeah. geez, look at the pyramids. Yeah. The, we, we, we don't know like how the pyramids were made. To the point where, like, some of the theories are like, you know, telekinetic aliens. Like, come on. <laughs> so, like, that's how, like, that's how much of an accomplishment the construction of those were. And, but then, I, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they figured it out by now. I, I don't follow that stuff, but it's like the knowledge of how that was done right. was lost. Yeah. So there's there's examples of that in you know architecture and things like that throughout history and it happens in software 
So there, there could be things that were figured out on older platforms, and you know that code just gets gets lost, especially with the with the storage formats that existed 20, 30 years ago. Like I was reading stories of how you know Donk. I, I might have mentioned this on this podcast already, but like how Donkey Kong Country was programmed. Mm-hmm. And there was like one lead programmer and then like some other programmers and he'd be like, the lead programmer was like, yeah, people would just bring me their work on a floppy disk and I'd copy this stuff over from a floppy disk onto my computer and then I would integrate it all. <laughs> so imagine like your buddy at work coming over with like a, a or we'll say a floppy disk, like those old, you know, three inch plastic floppy disks or whatever mm-hmm. with, you know, a megabyte of code on it, which can be a decent amount but not a lot and you're like okay i see your functions like i'm just going to copy them copy your functions into my code and try to integrate it with like the function calls and like that's what we were doing literally uh, 25 years ago Mm -hmm. and so we're talking about a lot of work that existed before that that is probably gone yeah. Because it's just like there there weren't these big online storage databases or repos or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully at this point uh, that doesn't happen uh, in the same way. But, I mean, with, with private companies, like, I don't know. I mean, the Google search engine is not open source. Windows is not open source. A lot, some parts of Mac OS are open source, but most of it isn't. I don't. I don't think any of the frameworks built around it are open source. So there's still a lot of, um, you know, work that isn't like a lot of the stuff that's important for, like daily life, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of interesting. What uh, at what? You said about 25 years ago you, when we were using floppy disk. At what mm-hmm. what year approximately do you think we sort of transitioned to a point where every, everything is kind of on the cloud now to where it won't be lo- like like GitHub repos and things like that where, where at this point anything you do, you pretty much you just you have somewhere to put it and it, it's – it's going to be preserved yeah from a coding standpoint uh um, at what point do you think that i'm just curious like what year do you think that shifted i would say like definitely february of 2004 no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i don't know I'm i like, don't know exactly what happened february uh, <laughs> 2004 the okay. catalyst for uh <laughs> software storage no i i it's definitely been like a gradual thing um, oh, you know what? You know what is interesting. I want to look this up at some point because we were, we're not. We keep going back to these old episodes, but I mentioned my flash site, flash yeah. site that I made for the game uh, yeah. several years ago. I literally saw an article like a day or two after that about some company that's doing, um, that's archiving those things, and mm. supposedly they had like all these flash sites from like years and years ago. And they were making it so you could like still go visit them, but I didn't look at the site. I just saw the story, so hmm. that could be uh, preserved somewhere. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's been definitely a gradual thing and kind of started in. It's got it had to have been like the two thousands, like YouTube. 
like so much of the stuff that we use these days, again, is all very, very recent. Like YouTube started in 2005, I think. Yeah. So that's gone from being just like this tiny little platform with like very crude video to probably, I mean, they probably deliver more video than Netflix at this point because it's like everybody uses YouTube and you have like 4K video on there and it's got everything. So in terms of just like this this uh, archiving of work, it's, it has to have been within the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So but it's kind almost of... like, no, I was going to say it's almost like we're, I feel like technology in a way is still in, in its infancy of, of like what's possible. I think a lot of people probably think, oh, we've come so far and like things are going to slow down. But I think it's just the opposite. I think there's just a huge opportunity out there still. And it's just like, I feel like we're still at the beginning of what's possible in terms of things that can be made. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's like uh, the J curve. You've heard of the J curve? Uh, no, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> what is it? You might, maybe you should explain. We should have. Oh, you could have called our podcast the J Curve. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that would have been something. Well, well what does it mean? If it's uh, bad, I, I don't. No, no, I know. Uh, it's like the rate of which knowledge is increasing. Like if you look at, uh, oh, okay, like on a graph, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like if you look back to the like the 1930s, 40s, and stuff. It's kind of moving at a pretty fairly flat line mm-hmm. be the bottom of the j and then it gets to the i don't know the 80s or something and then it starts to go almost starts to become more vertical and now it's like you know the rate at which knowledge is supposedly being accumulated by uh mankind <laughs> is is increasing at that you know vertical rate i yeah. i don't know how much validity there is to that but I think it's along the lines of what you're saying. That that's why it feels like technology is very young, and it is. It is pretty young. I mean, computers are, you know, compared to human history, even right. Very recent, right? Innovation. So, so, oh, I just had something I was gonna say, and I kind of forgot. Oh, so I wonder how much of that is, like, you talk about knowledge. Um, but at the same time, the I don't know if the J curve is also talking about like the accumulation of data, because mm-hmm. <laughs> on one hand, like we're at like we're we're probably creating so much data uh, that in a way is like kind of useless. Yeah. Right. Because you can generate data about like what people are doing online or. Just anything, anything you can think of, you can you can create metrics around it, or, or like I said, you're creating database data, and I would think a lot of that would would essentially be garbage. So, mm-hmm. and I know that they've talked about this, like oh, the amount of data that we're generating, you know, is increasing exponentially, and like.
do you know if the J curve is also dealing with knowledge, like pure knowledge, or is it a combination of knowledge and and? Uh, I thought it was more knowledge, as in what we mm-hmm. know about the universe and. Uh, okay. You know, like the, for example, we were talking about the asteroid Bennu and all, all the, well, I guess the data we had to accumulate in order to. Uh, I mean, it's still data, but it's it's knowledge mm-hmm. that we had to uh, accumulate in order to, you know, uh, hit hit our target. Gotcha. Millions of miles away. Right, I mean, right. that's one example. But what what's interesting is like going back to your point about the pyramids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the obviously, I mean. To your point, we we there are uh, we tend to think of these older civilizations as you know we, not very smart or mm-hmm. uh, antiquated or whatever, and obviously there's like you said there's evidence that there some of these past civilizations were very advanced, right? Um, so the J curve, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they haven't figured that one out yet, right? Or have they? Oh, I thought you were uh, making a Spinal Tap reference, but no. Well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think they have figured that out. That's another one. Yeah, like, because um, that's like an astronomical thing, right? They they had some kind of understanding of of uh, space that I, I guess. Right. What What was oh, that exactly? That's right. I think. I thought. I think that's right. Like. You like it makes sense if you viewed it from a high altitude or something, or maybe that's something else. There's mm-hmm. examples of this kind of stuff on like every continent, mm-hmm. right? Because there's stuff in South America, I think, with um, like some of the I don't know if it's like the Incan uh buildings or the Aztecs, or maybe it's even further south because mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's Central America, right? Uh, those civilizations, but. Oh man, now I wish I could remember. But yeah, there there is something about uh how uh Stonehenge is tied into astronomy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's it's some kind of ast- astronomical um tool. <laughs> okay. But so I just but, looked it up a little bit. Oh good. Uh it says if you're if you sit at the center, you have a clear view of the summer solstice sun rising over the heelstone, whatever the heelstone was. Hmm. Um and let's see, what else? Oh, there's multiple stone hinges. Huh. So uh that yeah, it's definitely tied into astronomy and like the different seasons and things like that. Yeah. The point is, these, these, there's a past civilization right there that obviously was more advanced than we think. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, the pyramids are the best example, I think. The fact that we can't even figure out how they made those. Right. Um, so, when going back to the J-curve idea, I don't know if, you, you know, having a lot of, uh, having more knowledge doesn't necessarily mean... Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're more advanced than mm-hmm. than past mm-hmm. civilizations, especially if you can't 
do productive things with that knowledge. Not to say that we're not doing productive things, but right. You know, we still get a lot of things wrong. And right. So, I, I don't know about that theory, but I, I obviously, I mean, the ties into what we're talking about today. The amount of data at our fingertips is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, in fact, this is. It's funny because there's a couple of movies that I think about when when I think about the topic we're dealing with, the online resources. Um, Interstellar's one. I know you like mm-hmm. that movie. Uh, you know that that scene where he's he, he's in the it's like that weird bookcase that that other dimension that he's in the, the tesseract. Yeah, um, and it's it's almost like a. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a almost like he's swimming amongst a, a file cabinets or a, like a huge file yes. library or something. Right. So it's it's like almost in yeah, like a virtual library. I, I it's basically t- so <laughs> the idea it's interesting. The idea behind that is that it's basically like like seeing time as um a physical thing almost kind of like uh and the way to think about it and i, I don't want to get off on a giant tangent here but like every dimension is basically like a right angle from the one previous to it so if you have a line that's like mm-hmm. one dimension so mm-hmm. if you draw a right angle uh like going up from that well all of a sudden you're in two dimensions right so if you think of a graph uh, mm-hmm. like a 2d graph so then if you go 3D, that's another right angle from those two dimensions. And uh, and the thing is that we can't perceive, like, so time is like another dimension, right? So it's like another right angle from three dimensions, but we can't, we don't really understand or perceive that. So it's supposed to be like seeing slices of time. So imagine like a, <laughs> I know this is getting way off, imagine like a table, uh, like a tabletop that's 2D mm-hmm. and you have like a ball and you mm-hmm. can push. And so say that there's somebody who is um, standing, or no, say that there's somebody who lives in 2D on top of the table. So it's like a 2D character and we're looking down on it almost like it's like a drawing on a table. And we have a 3D ball and we're pushing the ball through the table so that this 2D person is only seeing a 2D slice of the ball as it passes through the table, right? Mm. So, like, you, you can envision that, right? Because we're 3D people, mm-hmm. and we are able to observe this 3D ball going through a 2D plane. Now, the person who's in 2D only sees the the slice of the ball at any given time, even though we can see the whole thing. So mm. the Tesseract is supposed to be kind of like a representation of time, and that you can like you're supposed to be able to see everything that exists at once because you're outside of time, but we can't really like comprehend that. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a similar concept of the 3D person being able to observe what a 2D person sees, but we can see the whole thing at once, whereas a 2D person can only see the slice of the ball going through the table as it passes through. So that would be kind of like time almost passing by. Mm-hmm. Whereas we can see the whole thing, so you, you can think of time and the tesseract as something similar to that in relation to us as people living in a three-dimensional world, 
and we can feel the effects of time, but we can't view it like as a as an overall concept. We're we're essentially seeing what they call like shadows of mm. of that. So anyway, it's a test rack, and that's the concept of it. Is that they're, he's seeing like the entire scope, like all all the time, and he can just go anywhere inside this tesseract uh but it's impossible for people to visualize basically uh so well, there that, you go but that's so, the concept of what is going on there yeah, yeah so uh, that, my <laughs> my little uh, analogy there is that when you're sitting at a google um screen the google home mm-hmm. screen mm-hmm. you you basically have access to a library that is uh, visually that vast. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it's not it's not multidimensional, but just imagine you're you're just floating in this virtual library that's the size of I don't know a, a country, you know? Right, right. Um, and you and it's overwhelming. And I think I think the challenge for me has been um, like having the patience to. Uh, what's how do how do how do I say? It? Um, having the patience to kind of sift through what's available, because mm-hmm. it you can you can get kind of lazy about it and and just be, be like it's just too much. Like I I can't I don't even know where to begin. Um, and I'm I'm being purposely vague here, but. Mm-hmm. The, the I remember last week I was telling you like when I was in college one of the things I loved was being in a in like the study rooms in the library right and just shutting yourself in and then we were talking about how there's distractions now to where it it's it's hard for people to it's harder for people to um, find that quiet space where they can just they can just sit for hours and and research and um, not for everybody but mm-hmm. it's more and more of a challenge and I think like. Ironically, we have access to that um, right here on our phones and our, our in our laptops, and I mean, e- even literally libraries like you can download mm-hmm. books and things like that. But um, more so along the lines of what we're talking about today, all these um, programming resources, mm-hmm. um, there's just uh, there's there's a lot. I I actually struggle to read documentation because mm-hmm. um, I know that's a that's like a key to progressing that, as a programmer. Yeah, is, and actually, I was <laughs> actually documentation was going to be part of the. It is definitely part of the programmer's toolkit. Yeah, MDN. MDN is, an, is another one that I'm. I mean, I'm sure everybody uses MDN, right? Well, um, yeah. Docs. I mean. That's isn't that the the Microsoft? Um, I guess it is. Yeah. Oh wait, no, 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 no. Is that? Oh, is that Mozilla now? What am I thinking? Oh, I think it is MDN. Mozilla. It's Mozilla. Mozilla okay, Web Docs. Okay, my right? bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, What's the? There's a Microsoft one. What is that? Um, gosh, never mind. I was gonna make another Microsoft crack and say only people who were unfortunate enough to be forced to use it or something like that <laughs> uh oh msdn that's what i'm thinking okay so it was close yeah 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 never well, you mind kinda, you kind of got your microsoft i got my jab in yeah i yeah i had to do it so okay all right we can move on <laughs> beautiful 
Yeah. But the MDN yeah, docs. Yeah, the MDN. So like when I go, like what I have a tendency to do is I'll, if I have to look something up, I'll go right to um, whatever MDN page I need to find. I'll scroll down. I'll find whatever I'm, whatever I'm looking for. Um, like if it's a JavaScript property or something and I'm looking up whatever that property does. And then I find it and I, and I jump right out of there. Like, like I don't sit very long mm-hmm. and I know that like, I'm sure there's programmers out there. Maybe you're one of them who can sit through and, and just read that stuff for long periods of time. And I'm, and I'm sure that's like incredibly helpful. Um, and I have a hard time doing that just cause it, it's at this state, it just feels kind of boring to me, but mm-hmm. um, that's like a, it's almost like studying law. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's very dry, but it's also, it's very interesting. Like once you get into it and you're um, right, it's just weird. It's like that barrier you have to get past <laughs> where you're, where you're uh, into it. But well, I don't, that, that's a tough one because documentation is, a lot of times it can be incomplete mm-hmm. um, or not well done if it is so-called complete. I mean, like Apple is known, I think, for not having great documentation. And the thing, and the same for Google, I think, like sometimes it's really hard to figure things out because, I mean, the stuff that you're using, if you are using APIs or libraries and they are complex uh, and you don't have good documentation, it's like uh, shooting in the dark almost. Mm. So, and that's another situation where if it comes down to it, it's like, well, I hope the source code is available because I have to actually go read how it's made so I can figure out how to use it. Um, so not liking reading documentation is not a unique thing, I don't think. There's a, there's something called uh, man pages. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like a Unix thing. And mm-hmm. it's like man is like short for manual, basically. So okay. it's like if you're trying to figure something out, it's like, and this was when I was in college, you know, and I won't say it was a real long time ago. Uh, <laughs> back when I was in college, uh, it was like if you wanted to figure something out, um, even with like the, I think this was for like the C libraries and stuff too, is be like, oh, go read, go read the man pages, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the IO libraries or anything going on. And it was like, I had that same kind of feeling like, just like, oh, this is so, it's like very, it can be, I mean, it's complex and it's very dry and it doesn't really, it doesn't always tell you what you want to know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a. I wouldn't call it a problem. Like, oh, he doesn't yeah. like to read documentation. Yeah. Well, the the, the funny thing is, like, I, I mentioned Udacity. The first, the first, the first thing they teach you in any of these online courses, or probably any any college courses as well, is like, uh, documentation is key. You know, like they they yeah. say documentation is your superpower as a programmer, quote unquote. <laughs> And, uh, and so the fact that they're placing emphasis on it up front tells me that mm-hmm. it's like some, mm-hmm. it's not easy for people. They have to kind of remind you, yeah, you, you, you need to do this even though you might not want to. So, all right. So let's go back to the music example. Let's say you are 
let's say you're in the Pat Metheny band or something, right? Yeah. And you're taking long solos every night and you're at the top of your game and that's what you love to do. Let's say after every concert, then you have someone come by and says, okay, uh, you need to transcribe, going back to the transcription example, now what you need to do is transcribe every solo you took tonight hmm. before you can go on. Mm-hmm. What part do you want to do? Do you want to play on stage and perform, or do you want to write about what you just did before you can go play again? Play on stage, of course. Yeah, so to me, that's what writing documentation feels like. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's not, I mean, it's not fun, but then you get in situations where if you don't have it, it's, well, first of all, there's, it's a problem if you don't have it in a company because uh, the example I like to use is the old getting hit by the bus example. <laughs> if, like, like, let's say, you know, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, can your company go on? Or is everything that's important about it, you know, living in your head? Or about your role. You it's know? a morb- morbid example. Well, that's, but what okay. they, that's what I picked that up a long time ago, okay. like from okay. an early job. And that was, uh, yeah, that was the thing. Well, that's like, it's like worst case scenario. Worst okay. case scenario, are, if you're hit by a bus, are we going to be okay? Is the company going to be okay? Or is it like there is too much of it living in your head? Oh, so, goodness. what kind of way is that to live, you know? Uh, <laughs> bus. Well, that's just that's the yeah. Like I said, it's worst case scenario. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, the guy who who. Well, I, oh, never mind. I won't start talking about that. <laughs> I get the I get the idea though. You gotta you gotta. Um, leave I was a, gonna leave say the tra- well, leave a just, trail for the yeah. No, I was gonna say the guy who taught me that actually got. I think he got arrested for some bad stuff, but oh. Uh, <laughs> But I remembered that part forever. Yeah. So, and it, and it's true because I've been in situations where, you know, and and the thing is, is that especially as companies grow. So, if we're talking about like a small company, uh, as people come on, like onboarding, onboarding is a big deal mm-hmm. because it's you know how how quickly people come on, how quickly they're able to be productive, and the more people that come on, you don't want to be repeating. The same thing over and over again. Yeah. And so I've actually read about companies that put a really big emphasis on having a good onboarding process. Mm-hmm. And it makes a big difference. Um, and I've seen that firsthand. So documentation, not fun, uh, especially not fun to to make. But And I, I think that's a really good comment, actually, if they tell you that making documentation is your superpower yeah because if you're good at that and like you actually execute like that is so valuable to mm-hmm. a company uh so i totally could see that as being like yeah like i i that's an int- i've never heard it put that way but as soon as you said it i was like oh that makes a lot of sense yeah because the amount like the effect you can have on think about it let's say you you're the only person who understands a certain process uh about a system and you write like amazing documentation for it. And let's say the company has to, for some reason, have to go from one person to a thousand people at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to teach a thousand people or are you going to hand a thousand people uh, the same document and they're right. all going to learn from it? So, well, you're, you're almost, you're talking kind of about writing documentation and, 
I'm talking about yeah, like well, because you were talking about reading it, right? And right, um, I kind of ignored well, that and yeah. just went my own way. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, points. Okay. I have points that I want to make. Okay, and I don't really care what you're thinking. It's one. It's one of those. It's a Jared yeah. episode today. <laughs> right. So I was steering <laughs> it in my own direction. <laughs> okay, uh, but we'll right, go back. Well, uh... we'll go back to what you want. It's fine. Well, you let me know when it's my turn to talk. I'm done. And, uh... I'm done. Now. I'm done. Now. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. So no, I think uh, it's actually both. It's it's reading and writing. Um, and I think it it can be taken lightly from the reading standpoint because, like, you might think, uh, like, if you're someone who's been through college and you're like, and they tell you we well, you need to be able to read documentation, you might think in the back of your head, well, of course I can. I can look stuff up. I've always, you know, right. I know how to research and, but it's different with tech. Um, I think there's, you, you get f- faster at it, like yeah. finding, finding stuff. And, yep. and you're, like I said, with the interstellar analogy, you're, you're swimming through data <laughs> right. if you don't know where to look and, and how to look for it. So that's the point I think is the yeah. kind of the point to where you can be on the job get stuck and find documentation quickly yeah and get unstuck um that's the point that's true yeah it's like it's almost it's almost like a data test rack that we have yeah available to us (laughs) there's just like so much to search through that finding the one thing that might help you um it is a skill like to it's it's a skill to understand what you can throw away Mm. and when you found like the right answer and i i agree like reading documentation is is absolutely a skill because i go back to the man pages example i like when i started i hated that mm-hmm. i it was just like ah oh, whatever but now i can definitely like read documentation that would would it like i don't know if you would call it did i already use the word dense i don't know but like just stuff that seems kind of um really hard to understand there's yeah. a word for it um it's not intractable is it i don't know (laughs) there's a couple words for it i think uh it might be intractable let's see hard to control or deal with i'll go with that (laughs) all right so uh, you can have some documentation that's intractable Mm -hmm. and uh but once you get better at it um you know, it becomes a skill, absolutely, being able to use that. But again, it has to also be up to date and accurate. Like, there's times where that stuff, even at the biggest companies, again, like I'll use Apple. Like, I've seen plenty of complaints of, about people uh, trying to solve things using their documentation. They're like, this is just not right. Like, mm-hmm. what, what are we supposed to do? So. Uh, I have one other resource. We can keep going on documentation if you want, but no, I, no, have, I have one other uh, resource that is important, I think, for the programmer's toolkit in terms mm-hmm. of, I guess we're talking about resources, yeah. and that would be uh, other people. Mm. And I think that's something that gets... Um, there's this, there's this uh, notion of like the lone programmer, mm-hmm. and I don't... I don't like believe in it really in terms of uh, I, I think you really need to work with other people to get to get good and mm-hmm. I'm gonna, like 
we can i think music keeps end up being a good example here mm-hmm. but uh like all the great musicians right they learn from each other mm-hmm. uh they build on what was known before right so like charlie parker you know was a huge figure in bebop and figuring out like how to play like the bebop changes and all that stuff mm-hmm. and then people learn from him learn from what he figured out uh and this you go back to the like you know the classical composers like we're still basically doing things that that they figured out and you know music just builds on itself for the most part um and we're not starting from ground zero like right as musicians it's like we have the benefit of everything that everybody before has figured out and it's much easier to just learn what's already been figured out versus us trying to figure it out for ourselves. Right. So there's like, uh, well, that's a great analogy. You think the classical music era, uh, a lot of people say that was the, you know, best music that's ever been made. Mm -hmm. Classical music. I I know that's kind of a vague, uh, term, but let's just say, you know, the Beethoven's and Bach's and Mozart's and, these guys, uh, let's just say they made probably some of the best music ever made. So if you're yeah. a musician today, why a... would you why would you ignore all of that body of work to go try to figure out what they did on your own? Right. That's kind of what you're doing as a programmer if you're if you're not utilizing not just the people in your office, but the uh, so the know, resources out yeah, there. Yeah, the open source resources that are out there. But part of it is also being willing to, and I know this can be hard because if your code works, you could think, well, you know, it works, it's good. Yeah. Even though there's so many ways to do things. And I think part of it is, part of getting better is opening up what you're doing to, I mean, everybody that works in a group does this, but like code review mm-hmm. or um they do what's called pull requests where people like you say here's the code i want to put into the you know main branch of the repo so it needs to be reviewed by other people and it's it's basically a form of of peer review like you know like scientific sort of yeah that's that's not always bulletproof either uh but it's that concept of opening your work up to criticism which in a way is opening yourself up to criticism. So I think there's there's a there might be some reluctance yeah. uh, for some people because number one, people don't like to be criticized. Number two, this profession attracts a lot of people who think they're smarter than everybody else. So mm-hmm. what does everybody else know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I don't have a third point. Uh, I think it's just those two things. That pretty much uh, says it all right yeah. there. So I think it was, I was going to say number three, but I had nothing. Um, so <laughs> you just figured everything has three points. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, but I think it's kind of like, it's, it can be a stumbling block if uh, you're yeah. not willing to like open yourself up to that. And again, it's kind of like music. It's like, if you're playing live music, you're putting yourself out there. For people to listen to you and criticize or whatnot, but mm-hmm. but you don't get better unless you're doing that. Right. So, utilizing the knowledge of other people um, is is a big part of of improving. I think. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you know who uh, his his name is pronounced uh, Donald Knuth? It's spelled K N U T H, so you'd think it would just be Knuth, but it's actually Knuth. Have you ever heard of him? No, I don't think so. He is he's pretty old now. He's either in his late eighties or early nineties, and he wrote these books that are really famous. Uh, they're like they're basically algorithm books and data structure books and Mm-hmm. They're like it's called the art of computer programming, and they're just like thousands and thousands of pages on on uh, just programming and like mm-hmm. like I said like data. Okay, so I guess he's eighty two, uh, and he's got he's not going to finish his work. He has like all these plans for all the books, like because he, he's still writing these books, and you can mm-hmm. buy them a couple hundred bucks for like this box set. And one of the things he says. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was him was that it's like like a lot of young people think that like older guys like like their knowledge is and this kind of goes back to the Stonehenge example but like mm-hmm. the, their knowledge is out of date and that <laughs> yeah. they don't know how to do things anymore because oh like the new stuff is right, right is right. where it's at and uh, I think he said something like it's always a surprise to them like when they learn that us older guys know a thing or two yeah or something like that so yeah like just not discounting the experience of like you know the older guys the gray beards as they call them i don't know if you've heard that term yeah 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 and that gets to yeah that's a big problem i think in kind of i don't know i don't want to say that's an american thing that's a that's a people thing i think yeah but it's like not not valuing uh, People that people that are s- smarter than you, older than you, right? Uh, that's or more I, experience. I, I've I've listened to other people, uh, other podcasts that have talked about this, and um, and we don't want to get off on a huge tangent, but like that's something that supposedly started in the '60s to become a a, a big like a shift like not to say that it didn't exist before but like a a a shift in american thinking where it's like the younger generations kind of stopped revering the older generations and honoring the older generation that's Mm. a that's a big topic but that wasn't it wasn't uh from what i understand it wasn't always the case in america interesting uh, but it is a big problem, and I there's I want to talk about in in a future episode talk about change management, mm-hmm. um, and how organizations deal with change and stuff, and how tech organizations deal with it, and I think that's going to come into play when we talk about that, um, because there's this idea that stuff needs to be changing all the time because, mm-hmm. like you said, that the, the the younger generation supposedly, uh, you know, know they're they're on the cutting edge supposedly, right. so they know they know more, and that's that's kind of a myth. So I'd like to talk about that a little more, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a myth. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, I don't. It's funny. Like I think we've talked. I think we've talked about that too. But just like the the attitude that you know it all, like when yeah, you're young. Yeah. yeah. It's like just don't you realize that everybody you think is dumb was once your age and felt the same way? Like it's such an obvious yeah. paradox or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, 
you never want to stop learning from from people that are more experienced than you. So, yeah, um, there's my key takeaway from today. There it is. <laughs> so let's say, all right. So this episode basically talking about we're, again programmers toolkit part two. Kind of talking more about the resources though. So we've gone over. We've got uh, we've got documentation. We've got books. We've got uh, the GitHub repos, mm-hmm. and we had um, and we have people. So I, I guess I would say um, I, I really like books, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like they're not as valuable as the other three overall. And the reason is is because. I just, you know what, like, I, I've just never, like, learned enough from a book to be like, okay, I can go make something now. It's really hard to describe. It's it's almost like it's a a record of, the, I don't want to say record of the past. Yeah. But, like, I'm trying to think of, I mean, because these, these things are always, you know, developing and, like, in motion, kind of. So yeah. even, like, looking at some of, like, the graphics books I have where they're talking about, physically based rendering things like that like i remember getting one and like as soon as i started to get into it like a new version came out of this Mm. book and it's like well things are always being discovered or or new techniques or whatnot and it's almost like it's so it's almost feeling like this like i said like this view of the past almost Mm. uh it's hard to explain yeah i just it's it's like it's not what's happening right now and it might mm-hmm. be good for like a language book. Like here's there's a really famous book. They they don't even call it by the title. You call it Kernigan and Ritchie, which is like the the book uh, that these two guys wrote about the C programming language. And that might even be what the book is called, the C programming language. I don't know, but it's a really famous book. But people call it Kernigan and Ritchie. So like that has value in terms of because that's almost like documentation. It's like here's the language. Here's how you use it. Um, so I guess my point was, I've, I feel like I've kind of grown out of books in terms of using them as a learning tool or like Mm. a way to implement things. I still read them to learn, uh, but it's a different kind of approach. So I, I really think for improving, so my takeaways would be, and I would treat this like, again, it's almost the same approach as music, like learn from the masters. So you go, you go to the repos, you read mm-hmm. repos of like really well-written, well-written programs mm-hmm. and maybe like listen to people who are at the top of their field or try to get feedback from people who are really good. Mm-hmm. I would just, I would approach it like trying to become like a master musician really. And it's like, just learn, like learn from like the current tools, like look at what was in the past done in the past. You can build upon that. Mm-hmm. But then like, you know, you got to surround yourself with the right people and you have to be looking at the right material to learn. That would be my takeaway for yeah, that's great programming resource. The programmer's toolkit for learning, I guess. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I have one more, too, actually, that sure. I just thought of. So we were talking about uh, a few episodes ago. We talked about, oh, it was when we talked about the programmer's toolkit part one when we were mm-hmm. talking about code editors and our key takeaway from that was that it doesn't matter what you use. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a, uh, it, 
the key the takeaway was that it it matters a lot but at the same time it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because it's 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 about you know what you uh what you're most comfortable with almost like a we we compared it to like a baseball player and his you know mm-hmm. what glove he uses what bat he uses right. that kind of thing right so in the same way that i think that's true with online resources as well and i'll just give you an example as a um front-end developer like when i'm making websites now mm-hmm. i have a path uh where i start with uh like a balsamic which is like a, a wireframing tool and then i go to photoshop and i you know i do my designs there and once i get out of photoshop and i'm and i'm coding for the site i have a bunch of um front-end tools mm-hmm which some some listeners might um, be familiar with, uh, like I for example, I have tools to convert colors to um, like to take an image and plug it in and get the HTML from that or to get the um, what do you call it the hexadecimal value mm-hmm. from that image. Yep. Um, so I have all like I have that tool already up when I'm working, mm-hmm. uh, so I can plug any image in, pull up the image. Uh, pick a spot on the image where I want to copy a color, get that mm-hmm. color immediately, plug it in my CSS. Um, <clears throat> I have, at, I also have like HTML color wheels. I have, uh, what do you call it? The color schemes where the like right. several different, uh, right. like, you know, the five colors that kind of go together. Right. Several templates for that. Um, I have websites for that. I have, uh, like I said at the beginning, I have the, all the stock photo stuff, Pexels, Unsplash. Um, uh, what else? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I have a favicon. Uh, what do you? Is it a? How do you pronounce that? Favicon or favicon? You know what? I always call it fave icon, like favorite icon, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I still don't know what you call that. But tomato, tomato. I have one of those generators for for right. those, and I have all this stuff up. Fawn, Fawn Awesome, I always have that mm-hmm. uh, up. So, point is, I'm not just dropping names out. I'm I'm saying these are, and I'm sure programmers listening to this can relate to that. You have, like, several stuff, several things kind of open at once mm-hmm. uh, that you just kind of, you can easily navigate through. And um, so that, too, is like, it's a, it's really a big toolkit <laughs> when you put it all together. Like it, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy how extensive it is. But you get into a, the ideal thing is you get into a workspace where you're just you're moving in and out of those different things quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, each project you should get a little faster, and um, so that's the that's the uh, I don't know if there's a takeaway there, but. Uh, well, the, the, I, the workflow takeaway yeah. is, you know. It's the same thing with, with learning, I think. Like, you can develop how you learn. So you're talking about having your tools ready to go, and you you kind of develop this workflow where you can move faster mm-hmm. with the actual hands-on work. It's To me, it's it's the same thing from the approach of how you teach yourself new things or how you learn things. Yeah. Again, that's a that's a skill you have to practice. Yeah, and at the same time, you don't want to get lazy with those. Like you don't everything I just described. You don't want to get to the point where you do it. You're you 
you know, three years from now, you're using the same exact tools. You don't right. necessarily want to be there. I mean, that would be assuming that you have it completely streamlined. Right. Um, so you should be changing up some of that stuff and finding new tools to plug in. But the idea is you kind of have this framework where you're, uh, you're moving in and out of stuff quickly. You're not getting hung, hung up having to find a color or a, or a font or whatever you're looking for. Right. Right. So, yeah. No, I was just saying, like, so that reminds, that just makes me think, like, it's the same thing for using, like, the resources that we've been talking about and that you're able to kind of learn new things and figure figure new things out and, like, you kind of know how to do that. So that would be, like, the other side of having those tools ready to go, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway... Cool. Uh, I think that might have done it. What do you think? Yeah, that was that was short and sweet. Um, some good takeaways. Do you have any final thoughts on on uh, just like the resource the resource uh, idea? I think final thoughts. Going back to the original thought of the episode. Don't forget to send in your listener comments. Yes. Um, we're what? still waiting for those. We we got big plans for 2021. We're gonna have a full blown listener comment segment, and we need we need those comments to start coming in. All right, one more time. What's the email? Email is wildlooppodcast at gmail.com. Wildlooppodcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, wildloop dot or uh, the wildloop net. The wildloop net. Plenty of um, links there as well to to reach us. All right, sounds good. So until the next time, I'm Jared Moranti. I'm Justin Moranti. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right, see ya. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to The Wild Loop. And if you would like to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell anyone you know that loves tech to subscribe as well. The Wild Loop is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.